Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss how an Asian Chinese couple spend all their life and love on decoding Asian taxes on metals and stones. We talked about archaeology in our podcast. A short history of archaeology in China, Dicks and Dreams, published on August fifteen. Archaeologists are commonly confused with artifact collectors who research the pieces they own. In short, archaeologists excavate artifacts; collectors do not. Archaeology is based on modern science, drawing from geology, physics, math, geometry, chemistry. Paleontology, anthropology, and bioengineering. While collecting is a much older practice, it is less scientific. In addition, archaeology often focuses on prehistory. For example, modern archaeology in China, which began in the early 20th century, focused on the oracle bone inscriptions unearthed in Anyang, Henan Province. The three thousand year old site of the Shang Dynasty capital. The meanings of the inscriptions were unknown to scholars at the time. We also talked about German American businessman Heinrich Schliemann, who pioneered excavation based archaeology in late nineteenth century. Before him, two men from the Italian Renaissance, Leonardo da Vinci and Raphael, could be considered only archaeologists. Da Vinci studied the fossils of ancient species. Raphael was once appointed by the Pope as the chief officer of protecting ancient sites in the city of Rome. He was the first official charged with such duties in history. However, even if we trace archaeology back to Da Vinci and Raphael, there is another related discipline that began much earlier: epigraphy, the study of ancient inscriptions. Was first developed in ancient China. Unlike archaeology, it aimed to challenge and verify interpretations of classical Confucianism texts. Epigraphy is based on collections of antiques in ancient society. Only artists and senior officials had access to the collected antiques and masterpieces of art scattered about the country. In ancient China. Due to the imperial examination system, officials were among the best educated. Many of them were artists and literates themselves. A movement similar to the Renaissance blossomed in China during the ninth and eleventh century. It aimed to restore the literary and cultural traditions from before and during the Han Dynasty, which ended in the year two hundred twenty. These traditions feature a freer style of writing that aimed to express real opinions and observations. These differed from the prevailing style, which since the late fourth century focused on rhythmic couplets and florid language. Expressing meaningful opinions was less important. Writers showed little interest in realism. In the ninth century, the Tang Dynasty was recovering from the devastating rebellions led by two warlords, An Lushan and Shi Siming. At that time, Han Yu and Liu Zongyuan, two Tang Dynasty literates, 
led the Asian Prose Movement, which aimed to bring back the straightforward writing style of pre-Han Dynasty traditions, as well as its focus on ethics and politics through the lens of Confucian values. The movement reached the peak during the Mid Song Dynasty in the 11th century. At the helm were six literati led by Ouyang Xiu. They, along with Han and Liu, are known as the eight prose masters of the Tang and Song. They all held official positions. Four of them passed the imperial exam in 1057, when Ouyang Xiu was the lead examiner. Seeking inspiration from ancient traditions, Ouyang Xiu turned to artifacts. His research of inscriptions on ancient metal and stone artifacts pioneered epigraphy research in China. He would compare the inscriptions to classical Confucian texts as a way to provide greater context for Confucian interpretations. He wrote the first book on epigraphy called "The Records of Artifacts Collections." His student Zeng Gong. Who was also among the eight prose masters wrote another book, Records of Jin Shi. In Chinese, Jin means metal and Shi means stone. This is why epigraphy in Chinese is Jin Shi Xue, the study of metals and stones. The metal artifacts studied in epigraphy were mainly bronze vessels. The most remarkable achievement in Chinese epigraphy was made by a couple at the end of Northern Song Dynasty. Zhao Mingcheng and his wife Li Qingzhao were born to families of officials in the late 11th century. Both were highly educated and shared a fascination with epigraphy. Zhao was also an official, and despite their social status, they lived a very simple and sometimes even impoverished life. Political shifts would shake their status, and much of the couple's money went to buying antiques for their collection and epigraphic research. Zhao, with the support of Li, wrote an epigraphic masterpiece, similarly titled to Zeng Gong's book, Records of Battles and Stones. Epigraphy was also called the studies of Ouyang Zhao, a recognition of the contributions of Ouyang Xiu and Zhao Mingcheng. The couple's story is as well known as their achievements. When they married in the early 12th century, the Song Dynasty was mired in partisan politics. Zhao Mingcheng's father and Li Qingzhao's father were in opposing political camps. The camp of Li Qingzhao's father lost the power first. Then the camp of Zhao Mingcheng's father also lost the power. Both of the fathers were demoted and expelled from the capital Kaifeng. The couple then had to move to Zhao's hometown, Qingzhou, in what is today's Shandong Province. It was during their thirteen years in Qingzhou that they wrote the classic records of metals and stones. During that time, they amassed a collection of antiques that rivaled that of the royal family. Zhao Mingcheng was later appointed as a local official in different cities, but then the Northern Song was destroyed by the Jin Kingdom from the north. The dynasty's last two emperors were captured by the Jin army. Five months later, Zhao Gao, a brother of the last emperor, took the throne in Shangqiu, about 150 kilometers to the southeast of Kaifeng. This was the beginning of the Southern Song, 
as it ruled the south of China. Zhao Mingcheng was serving as the top official of Zizhou, now called Zibo, Shandong province, when his mother died in Nanjing. Zhao had to go to Nanjing, but the war continued and the Jin army was moving further south. The Shandong era was not safe to save their collections from being destroyed. Li Qingzhao traveled alone from Zizhou to Qingzhou and packed their antics. She managed to transport 15 horse-drawn carriages full of them to her husband in Nanjing, but she had to leave behind more than 10 houses full, which were burned by the evading Jin army a few months later. Soon after Zhao Mingcheng arrived in Nanjing, he was appointed as the top official of Nanjing, which was called Jiangming at that time. When he learned that a military officer in the city had planned a rebellion, he did not do anything to prevent it. He did not have the ability or courage to deal with wars and conflict. In addition, as he was about to be transferred to Huzhou in today's Zhejiang province, he was not concerned too much about what would happen to Nanjing. The rebellion was eventually crushed by another official. Zhao, the city's top official, fled. He was later stripped of his title for dereliction of duty. Zhao wanted to find another place to live. When the couple arrived in the Wujiang River area in what is today's Anhui province, his wife Li Qingzhao wrote a very famous poem about Xiang Yu, a rebellion leader who overthrew China's founding Qing dynasty. Xiang committed suicide on the banks of Wujiang River after he lost the war to Liu Bang, his former ally. Li Qingzhao eulogized in the poem that man should be a hero, dead or alive, and praised Xiang for refusing to cross the river to escape. According to Sima Qian's historical records, Xiang Yu chose to kill himself with his own sword because he was ashamed of facing the families of his hometown after thousands of their young men fought and died for him. Li is a much more prestigious literatee than her husband. While most of her poems and verses involve a woman's perspective on love, this poem is an exception, describing heroic grief and indignation. She was disappointed in the cowardly escape of her husband and other officials, and even the emperors in the face of the invading Jin army. The couple then moved to what is now Chizhou, Anhui province. Later Zhao was reassigned to Huzhou and had to see the emperor in Shangqiu before he going to his new assignment. Li had to wait for him at home while saying their goodbyes at a wharf. She asked her husband, What should I do if something urgent happens? Zhao told her if she had to flee from danger, she should first leave the harvest belongings behind, then their clothes, then books, and then antics. But she should never give up any of the Zhao family's sacrificial vessels. Researchers today argue this arrangement showed that Zhao no longer cared about his wife. He valued objects more than her safety. 48-year-old Zhao died from malaria soon after he arrived in Shangqiu. Li, at 45, was a grieving widower. 
and she had to move again as the Jin army continued its march to the south. She finally settled in the southern Song capital of Hangzhou three years after her husband's death. Many of her antiques were lost as she fled. Life was hard for a widow with no children, but rich in valuable antiques. Even the emperor coveted her collection. She was lonely, sad, helpless, and in bad health. She then remarried Zhang Ruzhou, a low-ranking local official, as Zhang told her how much she, he cared for her. But he would be violent toward her because she would not give her collections of artifacts to him. Women were not allowed to file for divorce at that time. Instead, she found another way to leave Zhang. She accused him of lying to get his position. During the Song, man over 40 years old, who failed the imperial examination six times, had no chance of getting an official position. But Li said Zhang had lied about failing six times. Zhang was dismissed and exiled. According to the law, Li could legally leave her husband, but had to serve two years in prison. She clearly wanted out of the marriage at any cost. Fortunately, she only served nine days thanks to the help of one of Zhao Mingcheng's relatives, who was an official in the capital. Her remarrying and prosecuting her second husband were long regarded as a stain on her reputation during the Ming and Qing dynasties, a time when a woman's chastity and obedience was valued most. To uphold her idealized feminine image of the most talented woman in Chinese history, many scholars argued that she never remarried. After ending her second marriage, Li spent more than 10 years compiling and editing the record of metals and stones written by her first husband, Zhao Mingcheng. She presented the book to the emperor. As Li Qingzhao explained in the afterward, the couple studied inscriptions on metal vessels and stone tablets from the Xia dynasty to just before the Northern Song dynasty. Today we know this period spans nearly 3,000 years. She said they selected and reviewed all the inscriptions they could find and make sure the research was not only in line with the ethical standards set by Confucianism, but also could help official historians revise erroneous records. She described how she and her husband enjoyed the research and how she lamented that most of their collection was lost to the war. She said when she wrote the afterward, it was like her husband was there with her. Li Qingzhao died at 71. She has been revered as the most talented woman in Chinese history mainly for her literary works. While her husband Zhao Mingcheng is known for epigraphy, his achievements would not have been possible without his wife Li Qingzhao's full support in writing the book, editing it after Zhao's death, and risking her life to protect the antiques. As China began to develop its archaeological research in late 1920s, Epigraphy gradually became a part of archaeology. This is end of our podcast.
Thank you to our writer Song Yiming, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.